Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome my guest, Jim Williams, who I've known since, I think, Jim, since 2017 or 2016. 2016. So, yeah. 2016. So a little bit of a different episode today. But before we dive in, Jim, tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Jim Williams. I'm the Managing Director at GLC Advisors. We are a middle market investment banking firm. And I focus all of my time on technology, which means software, tech services, IT consulting and the like, primarily for founder owner operators. And years ago, I had the distinct pleasure of helping them through the transactions. So that's where we really met and we've been close uh, ever since on the professional front. And now that he's in Colorado, we're close in proximity as well. So uh, thank you for having me on, Ben. Yeah, great to have you on, Jim. And, and I recently attended one of the events that you co-hosted with a, a private equity firm talking just about kind of the latest in the, the software M&A capital markets world and just what's going on there. And I found it fascinating because I could ask questions. The attendees could ask questions. Just like, what are we seeing on the front lines? And a lot of founders don't have access to that. So just want to talk about the latest trends you're seeing, what you're seeing in the market to help founders who may be curious, like what, what's going on right now? Uh, so today we'll talk deal volume, valuations, bid ask spread, all this great stuff. So let's kick it off. Jim, let's talk about deal volume. Where has deal volume been and, and where do you think it's going? Yeah, so um, this is a question we get asked a lot. And the short of it is deal volume is down. Uh, deal volume started coming down uh, really in the first quarter of 2022. And when I say deal volume, I'm talking specifically about software yeah. deal volume, Ben, um, in, and really North America. So we're kind of down 35% this quarter, Q1 23 versus Q1 2022. But, but maybe uh, more starkly, we're down 50% from the highs of 2021, which was a really, really frothy year, as I think most people understand. But the middle uh, of 2021, you were talking about north of 400 deals getting done in a quarter, and, and now we're, we're a lot closer to 200 than 400. So we're kind of six straight quarters of declining volume. And, and when I say that, it sounds like things are falling off a cliff, and in some respects they are, but it's helpful to keep in mind that we're coming off at an exceptional peak uh, in 2021, which was really, we haven't seen that before, or at least not in a long, long time. So Yeah, and that's a great context because we know, okay, deal volume's coming down, which we expect, but also we came off a very unusual period of super yeah. high valuations, crazy activity in the market. So yeah. maybe it yeah. seems like it's going off the cliff, but maybe if we look in longer periods of time, it's it's kind of expected and really hasn't gone off the cliff, but it's, it's gone down. And of course, founders want to know valuations. How <laughs> is my company being valued? Is it yeah. down a lot? And always, that's always a hard one. And, and like, I get that asked all the time and I can't really yeah. pinpoint a thing. It's kind of art and science, but generally where were we at and, and what are we seeing in the market today valuation-wise? Yeah, so if you think about where we were, if you think about 2018, 2019, we had this blip in Q2 of 2020, and then it was pretty much just up and to the right to the peak in 2021. And then we talked about the volume coming down. What you will notice in the data we have shows that valuation kind of followed a similar curve, right? So right now, uh, the median sort of multiple range on a revenue basis, Ben, um, for software deals is around five times. So kind of 5x revenue, generally speaking, give you some perspective, that number was closer to eight or nine times kind of in mid-2021. Um, 
Now, that sounds like a huge drop, and admittedly it is, right? But again, that period of time in 2021 was highly anomalous. When you think about five times, that's much closer to the long-term average. So when we think about valuation and think about deal volume, we're kind of reverting to a much more normal period of time, right? The other aspect of this is we track a lot of public companies, um, including a number of indices around SaaS businesses. We've got a SaaS composite, we've got vertical industry uh, indices that we track, but all those trading metrics are kind of down 20 to 40%, right? So this time in 2022, Ben, the bucket was trading at like 10 times. Now it's trading at 5.6 times. So not dissimilar from what we're seeing in the private markets. Yeah, interesting. And and Jim, when you talk 4X to 5X or kind of meeting of 5X, yeah. and a lot of people ask, of course, we see a lot of public comps data, but are we talking yeah. private SaaS, public uh, SaaS yeah. when we say a meeting around 5X? Yeah, so that is... Uh, that is M&A data, and the vast majority of those are private transactions, Ben. So okay. we track hundreds and hundreds of deals every single year, north of, right now it's north of 200, um, but it's usually around 1,000 deals a year we track, and that five times revenue is pretty normal, so. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because there's the hard data, right? What we see in private transactions, what we see in the public marketplace. But then I thought it was really interesting. The discussion at that event was just the bid-ask spread, just the expectations yeah. of buyers, expectations of sellers, and sometimes those don't always align. So do we still see some gap there between expectations in today's market? Yeah, I mean, what's happened, uh, not surprisingly, is we've got a bid-ask spread. Ben, and what I mean by that is seller expectations and where buyers are or investors are at the moment, there's just a delta between what's an acceptable kind of trade, so to speak. And, and a lot of that has to do with, in our world, we're 95% sell-side M&A. Sellers have recency bias, so everyone is focused on 2021, right? And so that is not meshing very well with where buyers are at the moment. So both groups really need to kind of come closer to each other in order for closed deal volume to begin to grow again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it seemed like what I learned from that and that event was maybe still a little, and that maybe it's not quite overlapping yet still, but maybe that that yeah. we'll find some common ground as, as the market plays out here. Yeah. And, and one thing you mentioned about credit markets impacting deals. So yeah. how is that working? We know SVB, a lot of things going on in the, in the banking market, uh, but how is, how, how is credit impacting buyouts right now? Yeah, so we're seeing the credit markets impact uh, a number of things, but maybe where this group it's most impactful is on the, the private equity or the sponsor side. And um, everyone's heard of LBOs, leverage buyouts, where these firms, they need to take on debt to get a deal done or it helps them get a deal done and it, and it improves their returns. For years, that debt was essentially free and there were a lot of turns, meaning you could put a lot of debt on a deal. Right now we're looking at debts less available. There are tighter lending standards then and it's much more expensive. So the cost of capital is going up, which we can talk about this in a little bit, is compressing private equity's ability to pay higher multiples for businesses. And it is really interesting. I think just over the weekend, there was a Wall Street Journal article about KKR and the transition of that firm and new co-leadership and all that stuff. And, and it, it sounded like back in the day, it was just whatever debt they could get access to that kind of determined the, the price of the deal. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now maybe a little bit more sophisticated, but is it kind of getting to that same thing where it's like, 
debt's more expensive. Maybe we can't get as much. So that does somewhat impact, influence the, the purchase price and, and that cash on cash return that PE uh, buyers are looking for. Yeah, it, it does. And it, in particular for larger deals, um, on the smaller deal side, then what we're seeing is private equity firms or what we call over-equitizing deals on the add-on or tuck-in front where maybe they'll skip the debt piece for now until maybe they can get a little better terms and they'll just write a bigger equity check, refinance it out later. But it's definitely influencing the market, even in the middle market, but especially up market where debt is critical to getting proper returns. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And on the housing market, we talk, you know, buyer's market, seller's market, of course, that <laughs> applies to founders selling their companies. So what are we seeing right now? It's so hard, right? Because I think there are a lot of nuances here, but is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? Who does it favor right now if, if we had to cast a vote? Yeah, so if I had to cast a vote, I would say it is, uh, it's buyer's market right now. And it hasn't been a buyer's market uh, in software in a very, very, very long time. So what does that mean? How do we see that play out? It's, it's in a lot of different ways, but in particular, and where people might feel it the most outside of these valuation topics, Ben, is it's diligence, right? It's diligence is taking longer, uh, deeper diligence is taking place. And then they're also, they being buyers and investors, are finding ways to reinsert structure into deals where we really didn't see that for a long time, right? Things like earnouts, use of other considerations, stock, guaranteed payments, things like that. It's becoming more prevalent. And that's a way to bridge a little bit of that bid ask spread, Ben, right? And de-risk it, frankly, for the buyers, right? If a seller wants a number, buyer might be able to get to that number, but it's not going to be cash, at least not right now, right? Um, so we're seeing a lot more of that enter the fold. And I know due diligence takes, there's no like standard number of months, but what, what range can founders expect if we're saying diligence is taking a little bit longer? Once you tie into that one buyer, you select that, that buyer, what are they looking at for a due diligence timeframe on average or a range? Yeah. So I'll give you a range and just for context, and you know, this well, Ben is a lot of this depends on the process you run and how much diligence you can push to the beginning of the process versus later on in the process. But for a while, we were seeing deals get done within 30 days, very frequently. Now, my calibration is more on the 60-day front, and you might see it get a little bit longer if there's more to learn, or if buyers are slow rolling some of their diligence, which we're seeing, getting lawyers involved later, doing your quality of earnings later, getting your uh, tech due diligence firm in, later that is absolutely extending out okay so really they're looking to, to push some of some of that expensive spend on those professionals later do their due diligence first what they can do and then bring those those experts who diligence the tech stack and yeah. audit your numbers etc yeah. they're de-risking their diligence process yeah. right they're not spending the money up front they're spending it later spending it after they do more of their business due diligence things like that yeah absolutely and thinking about valuations. One thing that was really interesting that I found the, the private equity firm that was there talking about when they're looking at buying a company, they're already thinking about the financial profile, it sounds like, of how they're going to exit that company. So not just the numbers now, but where can they get those numbers? So almost like a before and after, but it's it's kind of a, I thought it was that, that was really fascinating that they're yeah. not just thinking super focused on, okay, how are they performing now? 
but then thinking three to five years down the road where they can get it to and how they're going to uh, sell that company down the road. Yeah, so that's something that a lot of folks don't fully appreciate until they've been through a process where they hear someone talk about it from the sponsor's perspective. So every time the sponsor is going into a deal, they're also underwriting an exit case or a ser- or, or scenarios on the exit. And for a long time, they were able to ride a rising tide and, and multiple arbitrage and things like that then. And, and frankly, the, the equation is a little bit different now. So you've got pressure around valuation on the private equity side because the expectations on the exit, right, the second uh, event in that uh, private equity firms hold is different, right? So they got to come in at a little different value because they expect to exit at a little different value. And they're focused on an IRR, right, and a return for their LPs. So they're right-sizing their math a little bit. And some of that has to do with debt. Some of it's just the general market. Yeah, and this leads me into one of my favorite topics, of course, SAS metrics and KPIs. <laughs> but if diligence is yeah. taking longer, they're scrutinizing the numbers, looking at every, flipping over every rock within that company. Yeah. What do the founders have to be prepared with as far as what metrics do they need to know and talk about with potential buyers? Yeah, so um, this is a great topic because... You and I, we love this stuff. We spend a lot of time in it. We kind of geek out on it a little bit, but um, it's absolutely critical if you're going to go through an event, if you're selling your business, if you're raising money for your business, that you're kind of key SaaS metrics. And we think of those as gross revenue retention, net revenue retention, logo retention, LTV CAC, LTV to CAC, all the kind of standard stuff that you would expect. You got to track it, you got to understand it, and you have to manage it to improve it then. And the reason I bring that up is because it was always important in a deal that your metrics were good, right? And you fell somewhere on a spectrum of bad, okay, good, great, exceptional. And right now, the stress on your metrics, on your unit economics, on all the things we just mentioned, but also your gross margin and your profitability, it's ratcheted way up. So you just, you really got to be on top of it. The importance of tracking and understanding it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's ever been this high, quite frankly. Yeah. And it was really fascinating at that event, kind of getting into the the mindset of the the PE buyer. It's not not only knowing your metrics and KPIs, but then they're slicing and dicing that every different way. Then they're segmenting it. If you're at the size where we need to segment it, SMB versus enterprise, for example, product line by geo, not only aggregate metrics, but now looking down at that nth detail to see what the story is underneath that story. So it sounds like, yeah, they're really, really scrutinizing that data now, especially right. The health of your current revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, that, that, that's a big piece of the difference between do you trade for five, six, seven times, or do you trade for 10 times, right? Is the strength of your numbers. So, um, uh, it just, it's always made a big difference, but right now it's just absolutely critical. And of course we see in social media now and et cetera, like the switch from cash burn to now profitability, long-term sustainability. So what, what do buyers want right now? Say financial sponsors, what do they want? Uh, which may be a hard question to answer. It depends on the profile of the firm, yeah. but have expectations changed there? Which I think I know the answer on, on profitability yeah. versus growth. 
Uh, the answer is yes. So the, the, this is old news now. I mean, the growth mm-hmm. at all cost model and mentality that died a year ago or so where it was just burn and grow and raise more money. And um, that was kind of in vogue for many years uh, when capital was free and people kept putting money to work kind of uh, irrespective of your ability to get profitable. Very different now. Buyers and investors uh, are now focused on what we would consider kind of healthy, sustainable, and hopefully profitable growth. So when we think about these things crossing growth and profitability, right? Most people probably start to think of the rule of 40, um, which has been around a long time, your growth rate plus your, for simplicity's sake, your EBITDA margin. It's, it's a big focus. Again, it's been a focus for a while, but you used to see people look at a business and say, middle market buyout, growing 70%, losing 30, right? Okay, you get to 40. That used to be pretty attractive. Now we're seeing a lot of people back off those profiles and focus much more on the, are we a 30-10 or a 20-20 type business, right? And it's about risk and sustainability and eventual profitability of the target. Um, so that has definitely changed across, across the spectrum, generally speaking. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Of course, we can't put all tons of PE firms out there, put them all into one bucket, but it does sound yeah. like they don't want to take on those risky profiles. Maybe if you're at negative 20% EBITDA margins, how are we going to get rid of that gap back to break even? And maybe it's just too much to take on in, in an uncertain environment. Yeah, uh, that's right. And as you mentioned, it's all dependent to the business and to the and to the sponsor, right, on what's acceptable and where that runway kind of gets to profitability. Yeah. And, and one thing getting to risk is platform buys versus add-ons. And I think founders who have not exited before, this could be a new concept. Uh, but tell us, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. Like 2020 was a certain type of acquisition that they're looking for and maybe shifting this year, but kind of tell us about the add-on versus platform buys. Yeah. Well, platform buy, just for context for folks, is when a private equity firm buys a business to be um, the platform for the investment thesis, meaning it's a bigger business that they will add businesses onto as they grow that business going forward. Add-ons are the businesses that get rolled into the platform. And 2022, we saw a pretty stark shift in how sponsors were deploying capital in that they they began to move away from platforms, Ben, and they started to do a lot of add-ons. So the firm that we did our presentation with, they did 160, I think it was 160 deals in 2022, and 155 of those deals were add-ons, right? So if you think of a spectrum, that might be over here, right? But directionally and on the trend, it's absolutely consistent with where, where we're seeing most sponsors spend the money. I think we'll see that continue in 2023. It has continued in that direction. But I think we'll gradually begin to see platforms come back to the forefront um, as better assets start to come to market. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. And really sponsor sponsor trades. Yeah. yeah. And then founders who are going through this for the first time, it's a question of like, yeah, am I a platform buy uh, yeah. or am I an add-on that you're going to tuck into an existing portco? Yeah, so yeah. important to know that. And of course, Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot here, valuation wise. Sure. And we know many different perspectives, opinions, valuation, art and science, but can founders still get a 10x ARR valuation if, if they're going to sell out uh, to, to a strategic or financial sponsor right now? 
the answer is yes. Uh, those deals are absolutely still happening. The frequency of those deals is just different, Ben. And I think, and this goes to everything we've been talking about, the bar for what is investable and what is a good deal has been raised. So the A plus, the A plus plus businesses absolutely can still get double digit ARR multiples. But I think we used to think of the bar as 10 million of ARR. You began to see that shift a little bit. Now it's more like 15 million of ARR, looking at really strong growth, like 50% plus growth, profitable or approaching break even with best in class metrics. So it's doable. It's out there. Those deals happen. But, but it's a much smaller band of, of business that's achieving those sorts of uh, exit multiples. Yeah. So the filter is ratcheted, ratcheted up as far as who gets a 10x valuation. But one one question about we we talk about metrics and best in class metrics. Now, would for a 10x valuation or around there, are buyers expecting like green across the board where it's like every single metric just looks beautiful, best in class? Or can there still be some yellow, some red where it's like, yeah, we're not perfect. Some things still to work on. Or do they want just every metric looking great? I think right now, Ben, if you're talking about double digit ARR multiples, you you better have a lot of green on the board okay. and, and probably no red, maybe a little yellow. Um, and if you've got yellow, understand it, understand why it's yellow and uh, understand if you can improve it. No one expects every any business to be 100% perfect. But I think when you're talking about absolutely premium valuations in a risk-off market, you just got to be really good, right? And, and this will, a lot of this will revert back to a little bit of what we saw. And I think more like 2018, 2019, not 2021, where, where you'll start seeing more double digit multiples as we get maybe into 2024 and people acclimate uh, to this new environment. Yeah, makes sense. And so we've talked about kind of where we've been, what we're seeing right now. So, all right, Jim, where are we going from here? What can founders expect to happen this year? Generally, I know you have to guess. Yeah. Where do we see 2023 going? And because I thought really interesting insight from yeah. that event of what we think 2024 and beyond are going to be. So yeah, where, where are we going this year next? Yeah, you are putting me on the spot. So I'll give you my <laughs> guess, Ben, um, because it's been hard to, hard to predict. Um, although, we felt like we were getting on some stabler ground and then of course uh, SVB happened and shook some things up again. But uh, I'll say, I'll give you some general thoughts. And uh, I think these are, we talked to a lot of folks, Ben. And so I'll run the, on the sponsor side and the strategic side and a lot of founders, um, lawyers, et cetera, people in the ecosystem. So our, our gut is that we're going to start seeing deal volume pick up in the back half of 2023. And, um, so kind of starting the summer, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of processes launch and in particular, better, healthier growing businesses, which have largely been on the sideline for the first half of the year and really maybe for the last six months or so, Ben. And I think we're very uh, maybe optimistic, hopefully not naively so, that 24 and 25 will be nice bounce back years um, coming out of 22 in 23, I think we'll see multiple stabilized back to more normal levels. Um, I think we'll see buyers uh, acclimated to this new credit environment where cost of capital is just gonna be a little bit higher. We'll have some certainty on what outcomes look like because businesses will have traded 
during that period of time in terms of people getting comfortable with what can I buy a business at versus sell it at later. Um, so we're, we're optimistic there. And look, people talk about this all the time, and it's but it's true. There's plenty of dry powder out there. Um, so private equity is sitting on like $800 billion of deployable capital. That's before they lever it up, right? We've talked a lot about credit. That's, that's just equity, right? So they've got well over a trillion dollars of buying powder. So there's plenty of money to be spent and strategics have enormous amounts of cash on the balance sheet. It's not a matter of, of if they're gonna spend it then, it's a matter of when, and when is that cash gonna be deployed towards acquisitions? And I think you're gonna start seeing some of this loosen in the software markets over the next six months and hopefully it just continues up from there. Yeah, and I've got a question or two before we wrap up. This, is, this has been great, I've loved this conversation. So. A bit of a conundrum here. We've got a lot of deployable capital, yep. but maybe, and we're saying it's generally a buyer's market, but also maybe founders who are not sure if they should go to market. So kind of that's where it's like, well, I guess if, if you're a founder with a good profile, great company, maybe it could be a, a, could it be a seller's market for that company if they have a good financial profile at the right yeah. AR size, just because maybe founders are afraid to, to bring their company to market this year. Yeah, so this is a great question. And this is what I think a lot of people in our spot, Ben, are wrestling with is when is the right time? And um, so I do think there, there are some businesses that can benefit from kind of like scarcity value, so to speak. So if it's a really good asset in a niche market where they know people are gonna be crawling over glass for that asset, now might be a perfect time to go. Uh, because all eyes are going to be on them if they know they've got a, a market for that business. Um, and the other thing we're thinking about is, so there's, there's this kind of scarcity value element is, is this right time for some businesses? The flip side of that is if you wait uh, and go when everyone else goes, uh, there's going to be potentially kind of a tidal wave of deal volume where folks might find themselves lost. So in many respects, we're trying to set a little bit of that aside, Ben, and just think through folks with, we think of what's the macro environment, how's the company doing, and what's your desired outcome, really? And we try and make sure those three things align. And if we can tell someone when we chat with them about their business, kind of how those three things are aligning, are you going to be able to achieve your desired outcome? Then we would say you should start thinking about prepping to go to market. Right. And if and if the those three things don't align, you need to wait and you need to grow and improve your business and grow into your valuation expectations. A little bit of that might be macro related. Uh, but most of the time when folks are waiting, um, it's about how the business is performing. Right. So it might be the metrics we talked about. Right. Improve those a little bit or start tracking them or move you to your financials to gap away from cash. Right. That takes time. And you got to have a track record of that sort of stuff. So that's, those are the conversations we're having with founders, Ben, is trying to marry all of the noise that's out there with, with the desired outcome and figuring out when the right time to launch is. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and one last thing, because we could talk forever here, but you mentioned track record, uh, which I think is important point too. It's like, it's 
two months don't make a track track record. If you had record bookings for two months, that's fantastic. But we need a little bit more long term history that that buyer is going to look at a due diligence. So that just thought I thought of something else there. But yeah, I thought attending that event was really interesting, hosted by you and that PE firm, and just wanted to to talk to you and bring this out to the the wider SaaS founder audience so they could see kind of what's going on on the front lines right now. So Jim, uh, really appreciate your time today and and the insight that you provided. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. And we're always happy to do this or provide, we got a ton of data that we can provide folks around trending in the market and whatnot, to the extent that's helpful. We're more than happy to do it. And it's always nice to see your smiling face and you do such a wonderful job with these things. We're just happy to be a small part of it. So thank you again.